Good morning, beautiful people. I hope that you are having a fantastic Saturday. Welcome to the weekend. You worked long, hard hours. You decide, uh, now, now you deserve uh, to have a couple of days off. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please consider to like, subscribe, follow, whatever the case is on your platform. Um, and I would also like to thank AdamMel.com for sponsoring The Dewey Show. AdamMel.com has everything you need to spice things up in your bedroom. Sex toys, condoms, lubricants, underwear, DVDs, literally thousands of items that will make you and your partner very happy and very satisfied. But wait, that's not even the best part. Here's the best part. If you go to AdamMel.com and you use the offer code DEWEY at checkout, you'll get 50% off of almost any one item as well as free and always discreet shipping. That's AdamMel.com, folks. A-D-A-M-M-A-L-E.com. And the offer code to use at checkout is DEWEY. That's D-E-W-E-Y. One more time. A-D-A-M-M-A-L-E dot com. Offer code DEWEY. D-E-W-E-Y. Along with everything else I talk about today, this link and offer code will be in the description of today's episode. Thank you so much to Adam Mel for sponsoring The Dewey Show. And thank you wonderful folks for coming in and saying hello. Uh, so today I am interviewing one of my favorite politicians, and that is Mr. Adam Murphy. Now, uh, Adam was... Uh, running for uh, U.S. Senate in uh, Wisconsin, uh, but he dropped out of the race. He was the Democratic uh, nominee, not nominee, but he was a Democratic uh, person running for that seat. And I truly believe he was the best choice, but uh, he ended up dropping out. Uh, I, I, I didn't ask him why. But anyway, you will hear a lot about uh, the... Uh, January 6th, you'll, we'll, we're going to talk about um, Donald Trump having the uh, classified nuclear things, uh, files, whatever they are. Uh, we're going to talk about abortion. There's so many things that we're going to talk about. So I'm not going to sit here and waste any more of your time. Uh, here is Mr. Adam Murphy joining the Dewey Show. Okay. Uh, hey, folks. I'm here with uh, former Senate candidate uh, Adam Murphy. Uh, he was running to unseat uh, Ron Johnson. Um, and uh, other than how are you doing, I've got uh, some questions for you. So we'll start with the easy one. How How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks. I'm doing well. Yeah, I stepped out uh, a couple of months ago. So the Wisconsin race was a little a little odd in that the three of the top four candidates all stepped and dropped out uh, just a week before the primary. Um, I, w- I was out before that, so I wasn't part of that chaos. Um, and, and it's been fascinating since I've been out. Uh, I've been on a handful of different uh, like AM radio talk show programs where I you know, get an hour or two to talk with people. Uh, now, you know, once you're not a candidate, it's a little easier with 
public airwaves. Um, so that was cool. Um, other than that, you know, it's been a, a summer of being able to catch up on things that need to be taken care of. So, uh, you know, replacing a pump in the hot tub and, uh, you know, just, <laughs> just regular things that I've, I've had to, uh, I've, I've had to catch up on. So that's been great. And then, uh, I've got about three weeks here and classes kick back in. Cause, uh, if you remember from when we talked before, I, I decided to go back to college, uh, when I started to run and earned a degree in political science and another one in economics, but I was continuing uh, a master's in economics. And, uh, so I'm, I, despite not being in the race, I'm continuing with that because I find it really absolutely fascinating. I, I really enjoy it. And so, yeah, classes kick back in in a couple of weeks and I'll be on campus five days a week. So I'm, oh, wow. I'm so, so, um, something that I found, uh, admirable about your, uh, candidacy um was the fact that you were willing to say you know i i'm i don't know all of these things so i'm willing to be taught these things by going back to school um usually and i'm speaking very broadly here a person runs for office uh you know and you're you're preparing yourself like it's it's strange that you you're the first person that I've heard of in my entire life that is running that uh, runs for senate while going to school so that you know one day uh, uh, hopefully I mean that genuinely that uh, it you, it would make you a better senator and I say hopefully one day because I want you to be a senator one day. Thank you. I That's think that you would be good for the country. I think you would be good for the state of Wisconsin. Um, but speaking, you know, of running for office. Uh, now- hey, friends, real quick. I uh, just want to pop in and say, please support the sponsor of today's show, AdamMail.com. You will not be sorry that you did. Um AdamL.com has thousands of items that will spice things up in the bedroom with you and or your partner. Uh, They have sex toys, condoms, lubricants, underwear, DVDs. Again, thousands of items. But that's not even the best part. Because if you go to AdamL.com and you use the offer code DEWEY at checkout, you will get 50% off of almost any one item as well as free and always discreet shipping. That's adammel.com, A-D-A-M-M-A-L-E.com. And the offer code to use at checkout is DEWEY. That is D-E-W-E-Y. Uh, thank you again to adammel.com for sponsoring The Dewey Show. Hey, folks, also, while I have you here, please uh, like, follow, subscribe, whatever your platform uh, tells you to do. I would appreciate that. I love you, folks. Uh, Back to the show. How many of us really do that? And so uh, I know that, you know, you didn't get to participate in the uh, general and you dropped out uh, pre-primary, right? Correct. Uh, but but uh, the parts that you did uh, get to participate in, uh, what would you say is your 
uh, favorite, what was your favorite part of all that? You know, it, it, it was, it was actually, it was a really cool experience. And I think I was one of very few candidates um, that really had fun doing what I was doing. I got to know a couple of the others who were, who were like-minded. Um, Stephen Olacaro was, was running in this race and um, he was doing it for very different reasons. Um, he was, he was passionate about making a change in the political system. Uh, but it, it's easy. Um, it's first of all, I guess it's kind of easy when you're the underdog, right? Um, less at risk. But I had um, so okay. Some of the, some of the coolest experiences that I had were the raw interaction with people, where I was. My goal was always to to uh, the the terms we use were to listen, to learn, to share. And my goal was always to engage with people where they were at. And it didn't matter if they were Democrats, if they were conservatives, if they were libertarians. And to try to try to listen and engage and, right. and to teach, ideally. That's part of the reason I went back to school was not just to learn, but also so that I could explain things, right? If we want to talk about economics, it's, it's important not to just understand it, but to be able to turn around and explain it to people in terms that make sense. And so one of the coolest experiences, and this was early on, um, I was talking about one of the things that we want to do with the campaign or wanted to do with the campaign and that I am planning on still doing is to, um, to work with voters, to teach them how to talk with the other side, right? In our case, Democrats with Republicans and right. And to have useful dialogue, right? So that it's not just mashed potatoes getting flung around on Thanksgiving dinner. Exactly. Exactly. And, <laughs> I was going to say that's my experience. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is for a lot of people. And then we're not going to get, <clears throat> excuse me, we're not going to get 100% away there. We're not going to convince people, but to at least start to have the conversation. And so here was, here was one of the things that happened. I was at a, uh, it was a, a Democratic County event last summer um, in uh, a little bit north of Madison, so somewhat rural area. They literally had us up on the back of a, a hay wagon giving, giving the speeches right, to people at picnic tables and what have you. And I explained that one of my goals was this, this to be able to teach people to talk with each other again. And afterwards, I was sitting down at one of the picnic tables and I was talking with some folks and there was a gentleman standing a little off uh, to the side, probably... I'm going to say maybe 70 years old and he was listening and he came a little closer. He was listening and came a little closer. And finally he, he, he kind of entered, you know, got himself into the conversation and he looked at me and he said, you know, I've been a Democrat all my life. And he said, and I've lost all four of my sons to the GOP. Oh, will, will this help? And, and can I guarantee that it'll help? Of course not. Um, right. But I certainly hope that it would. Right? And, I, and what a powerful statement right, about politics. Not, not specific, you know, to, to Democrat and Republican, but specific to what's been going on in our country in these last few years, right? This, this incredible divisiveness. And, and, and the fact that, you know, he said it almost tearfully that, 
you know, he's lost his relationship with, with his children over politics. Right. And, and that was, that was an incredibly powerful moment. Um, and it's, so it's, it's part of what I tried to do. I, I think, you know, you and I met on TikTok. Yeah. And I'm one of the very few candidates in Wisconsin, at least that's on TikTok. And there's more happening around the country. But yeah, there's very few, like you're, you're one of the few that I have personally come, like, of course they have the, like I looked at uh, Mike Lee, for example, and he's on there verified no videos. I think it's just to reserve the name essentially. Okay. Um, there's, there's a handful um, that are, are phenomenal. Uh, Ken Russell down in Florida is, is tremendous. And, and his TikTok is, is fantastic, but what wound up happening or, and what I did, and this was very deliberate, most political candidates spend several hours a day on what's called call time. So they are calling people that it's on a list. It's a friendly list, right? So in my case, it would have been for Democrats asking for money. And that's what they do all day long. Right. And, and first of all, it sucks. Um, but also you're calling people that are generally going to be supportive of you, right? They're not challenging you in any way, shape or form. So what was fantastic when I started doing TikToks and, you know, I had a couple of videos and this was, this was probably the, the most surprising moment of the campaign is I had a couple of TikTok videos have four or 500,000 views in, a, in four days. And it was on game theory and the infrastructure bill, right? Um, they, they were long format, three minutes long. So this wasn't just, you know, a seven second one that spirals and, and so you get a lot of counts. Right. Some of these were a series of three minute videos as well. Right. I remember watching, I think you were breaking down the Build Back Better uh, act. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's all I had to interject. I really, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, and all right. I yeah. did an eight part one that was over 20 minutes long on inflation, right? which totally needs to be updated because it was last December. And of course, things have changed. But that was, that was incredible, right? That so many people, and, and this was without marketing. This was, we did not spend any money, uh, you know, no advertising on TikTok. So it was wholly organic. And for 400,000 people to be interested in what I was saying about game theory and politics was, was so cool. And then here's what I did. And, and this is what I'm trying. So since I've been out of the race, one of the things I'm doing is working with other candidates to get them on TikTok. But the only ones that I want to work with are those who are willing to actually engage, right? To actually answer questions, to use social media socially, <laughs> rather right. than just as a soapbox that they stand on and they yell and they, they turn around and, and they ignore the rest. And so I would sometimes spend hours a day responding to people. And that was people that agreed with me. Uh, that was people that wanted more detail because that was oftentimes the case, right? And in a, a three-minute video, I'm not going to be able to explain everything about the Supreme Court. Right. Uh, and then, of course, people were challenging me. And I would engage with those people as well, as long as it was reasonably civil. And so I ran three times. Um, I ran into TikTok's um, limit on how many times you could comment in 24 hours. Oh, they, really? Right. Most people have no idea that even exists. So TikTok literally blocked me for 24 hours from responding to my own videos. <laughs> oh, geez. 
so so you are really hard at work just and it's just you that's doing it as far as i know right for the like, ticket uh, for the videos and stuff i did have a a staff of of people doing research for me um because i i think this is the challenge for politicians and they don't talk about it and and i don't know how well the public necessarily thinks about it is we are asked questions about every topic under the sun, right? So even though I was running for U.S. Senate, I got questions about local politics in, in cities I knew nothing about here in, in, here in Wisconsin, about county or state-related issues that were things that, as a U.S. Senator, I wouldn't have any kind of control or influence over necessarily, although still beneficial to know. Um, right. But... Right. I didn't know anything about uh, the toxic PFAS chemicals, the forever chemicals. I didn't know anything about uh, I did a series on oil and gas and somebody asked me about propane. OK, I didn't know anything about propane manufacturing and pricing, but much of Wisconsin, especially Western and Northern Wisconsin, uses propane for heating their homes um, right. or even generating electricity. Right. I used it for my grill. So it's a different perspective. So it was great having a research team that I could say, listen, um, go hit this. And we had, so we had three of uh, uh, three college students and we paid them by the way, I I believe in actually paying people. Um, I don't like free labor. Um, but only politician I've ever heard say that right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a business owner and, and it makes sense to me. Um, but, and, and we paid them 22 bucks an hour because I thought that's what going rate should be as well. Um, but what was really cool too is that when, uh, so one of, one of the students was an economics and, and business major. Um, another, and I apologize, I'm not gonna, another was, uh, I know she's off to law school because she just graduated and she dealt with, um, she had like worked at a woman's center here in Milwaukee. Uh, and a third was in environmental studies and she was from much more rural Wisconsin, um, but had had some incredible experiences traveling internationally. So they had very different backgrounds and experience and, um, and uh, topics of study. So we would actually throw like uh, propane, for example, out to all of them or you know, pick a topic and they would come back with different perspectives because of their experience. Well, that's beneficial for me then. So I could, I could, you know, talk about propane then for, it was a great example because I learned a ton and it was really interesting for me from an economic standpoint, from a business standpoint. Um, And then we also get into environmental issues. We get into supply issues. And so they all had slightly different perspectives and and pieces of information and pieces of puzzle, which was, I, I think, really, really important, but that's so hard. And this is the honest truth. And so I don't knock politicians when, when they, if they, if on the rare occasion, when they say, I don't know, because there's so much that, that we ourselves individually don't know where I knock politicians is when they make up a bullshit answer, um, you know, or they spin it into whatever they want to talk about, you know, so Adam, well, well, what about propane? And, you know, and all of a sudden I'm off on, you know, whatever topic I want to talk about, that's not answering the question. Um, but it's, it's really hard. It's a lot of work. Um, and and then I've got to be able to digest it and turn around and, and present it well. Um, and, you know, so the TikTok videos were a great opportunity to do that. And this is what the other thing that I tell candidates that are interested in the, in the medium, whether it's that or any other social media, 
is the data that we can get the the feedback right that we can get from from users from whether again tiktok doesn't matter is tremendous because what we found is if i had you know hundreds or sometimes even thousands of comments and questions we could really pare those down if we went through them all and we might find that there were five things that really stuck out right a couple of people wanted more information on a particular variable maybe that we were talking about or a couple of people were challenging me and saying no 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 it's this this you know it's something else well the cool thing about that is it allows me to make my argument better next time it allows me to to make another video as a follow-up and say you know what a lot of people talked about this and it's a great point and i didn't discuss it right or i was talking about this one variable over here but there's more to it but it allows me and I'm, i'm a fan of debate it allows me to be a better debater it allows me to present a better argument because then i can actually have a response ready and actually present it before you even ask the question. Um, right. And well, so- and like something that I personally have learned uh, after I, you know, decided it was January 6th that I made my first TikTok video of 2021. Gotcha. Um, and the first video that I made, it like a rocket ship, you know, and I, I was kind of a stuttering, blab, blabbering mess, you know, because I'm watching uh, the heart of our uh, country being torn out by, you know, I, I don't know the varies, uh, depending on where I, I read uh, um, the numbers from, uh, they vary. Uh, so it's either... Anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000. So I don't know. But there were, you know, all the things that they did to desecrate our capital and what their ultimate goal was. Uh, I mean, that they had the, the, the plastic handcuffs on their vests and things. I mean, that's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, and it was just disgusting. And... I mean, if you if you listen to the Dewey Show on any given day that it says Donald Trump in the title, I'll give I, I do the news first and then the opinions part second, and I always it, it's the same thing every time. It's like why isn't he in? Uh, you know why is is this man walking free? Because like we learned today with. Uh, a, I'll just go into use this as a segue into one of my questions for you. Um, so, according to you know the Washington Post, among at least among the documents uh, the FBI FBI were seeking were uh, at Trump's Mar-a-Lago were uh, documents uh, regarding uh, our not our but just nuclear weaponry. Uh, it. It stated very clearly at the end that they are not sure what, if it was the U.S. Uh, our do- uh, weaponry or if it was uh, another country's. But uh, my thought immediately after reading that is, okay, if a soldier or an airman or whatever did that, they would be court-martialed like that. And I get it with Merrick Garland, you know, the the guy has a job to do and he's very methodical. I've I've studied his career 
he is the prosecutor, the guy that prosecuted the uh, Oklahoma bomber. And um, when when he uh, gets his chance, he does not screw up. So I know that we have to be patient, but I mean, I think even if Donald Trump is arrested, which I think that, you know, it would be him discussing a time of his coming in and all of this, it wouldn't be how an average American citizen is treated. I mean, he is a former president and all of that. I don't agree with that. I think if you break the law, you should be treated like everyone else. Um, you know, he would have time to uh, turn himself in and all that crap. Like, no, I, I mean, uh, and it, it's, it's just very difficult, but I, I'm just, uh, curious here. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts? Like, why why do you think that he would have kept uh, even after the uh, National Archives said, "Hey, you have some stuff," yeah. and he said, "Okay, here it is," and uh, that could have been the end of it. He could have handed it all over, but he didn't. He knowingly, at least in my mind, Donald Trump is not stupid. People make jokes about how stupid he is. He is not stupid. Um, he knew exactly what he was doing on uh, January 6th. He knew uh, because, I mean, for months before the election even happened, he was touting that, you know, the election was going to be stolen. But uh, I kind of went off to my own uh, side tangent, so I'll read you the, <laughs> the uh, uh, I'll, re I'll read it to you again. Uh, again, uh, according to the Washington Post, uh, among the documents uh, the FBI were uh, seeking at Trump's Mar-a-Lago were documents regarding nuclear weaponry. What are your thoughts on uh, him taking those? If that's I think. So I, I, I want to hit on one of the things that you said and that Donald Trump's not stupid because uh, you're right. That accusation is out there. Um, and, I, and I think you're right. But what I don't think he is, is I think he's, he's ruled by his own narcissism. Um, right, we can, you can have incredibly bright criminals. <laughs> they still get caught. Um, yeah. Right? And we all do foolish things. Um, you know, whether it's spur of the moment or whether it's, um, uh, you know, hell, I, w I was the 18 year old in college with credit cards and no job. Right. Uh, that was that was dumb. Right. Um, yeah. So so the, there are things like that happen. But I think that Donald Trump is is really ruled by his narcissism and the idea that nobody is going to tell him what he can and cannot do. Um. And so when, yeah, when the National Archives came and, and it was 15 boxes, right? And, and I don't, I'm assuming banker box type sort of things, but, uh, you know, however big it was, it, it was 15 boxes worth of stuff that they took. Um, we don't know what all the FBI collected uh, in, in this, with this search. Um, I think that releasing the warrant information is, is going to be interesting because there would have had to have been uh, a little bit more detail in there. Um, I don't know that we'll ever know uh, what exactly what was what was taken. What I did read uh, were that there were uh, several folders uh, marked confidential, others marked secret, and several marked top secret. Um, 
of course, we don't know the contents of those. And that's kind of the point of confidential, secret and, and top secret. Right, right. Um, you know, the argument it has been made that uh, as president, you can declassify whatever you want. And that's true. Um, whether that's smart or not is something else entirely. Whether he did that or not is, of course, something else entirely. But I think really what we're talking about is Donald Trump's ego, his, his narcissism, his I'm not going to be told what to do. And so my suspicion would be based on that. And, and, you know, I talk a lot about game theory, which is all about decision-making and understanding what decisions somebody might've made, but there's an assumption in game theory of um, that everybody is rational. (laughs) And I don't mean mentally stable, right? Uh, What rational means is that they are, they are doing their decision will be in their own best interest. Right. When we get into politics, we hear all the time, why are people voting when it's not in their best, their best interest, right? Um, but ultimately, that best interest comes down to their own interpretation of what that means. And so it can be very difficult for us to get inside the head of somebody else where we're going, why would you do that? You're not, you know, you're, you're not voting in your best interests. So the question becomes, what does Donald Trump believe is his own best interest? Well, he doesn't believe he's going to go to jail. He believes he's above the law. He believes that he is Teflon, that nothing will ever stick to him. And consequently, his own best interest is whatever strikes him in that moment. And I am willing to bet that what struck him in that moment was he was going to keep some of the coolest, most amazing things that the United States has ever seen that nobody else knows about. Because that's Donald Trump. Right. Right. That's going to feed his ego. And so that you're, you're absolutely right. Whether that's about our nuclear capabilities, whether that's about, uh, you know, the nuclear capabilities of, of China, you know, uh, or Russia or whatever the case might be. I don't know, again, that we will ever actually see those documents. But at the end of the day, that would be my suspicion is that it is going to be things that that feed his ego that he knows, you know, so if it was about our nuclear capabilities, for example, that's one of the things that very, very few people in the entire world know about. Right. That's, that's a pride. That's an ego. That's a, I've, oops, sorry, as I hit the microphone, that's, I've got this document showing exactly where our nuclear weapons are or whatever it may be. Right. And, and I can't, again, I can't speculate on, on what it could be, right. but at the end of the day, that would be my guess as to the type of content that they're going to find in those documents is that it's very rare and it's about something that he would have personal power over as the president. Right. And I mean, this man to make money has no shame. Uh, this is my personal opinion. And I, I mean, it's backed up by fact, but uh, he built a Trump building in Chicago and he hired uh, several uh construction companies to uh join the endeavor and ultimately at the end he you know before he started this project he created a new business and then went bankrupt on them and put them out of business saying that he couldn't pay the bill but the building is still there it's still as far as i know owned by him and you know like sticking away with things Exactly. And he'll, you know, as he was running for uh, president in 
the 2016, 2015, whenever he said this was, someone asked him about minimum wage and, you know, he said, yeah, I think it should be raised. Uh, I mean, if you look at my business, uh, which is tremendous and, you know, 900 other adjectives, uh, it's just complete hyperbole. Uh, he uh, said that, yeah, I believe I, I paid my people great and, you know, that I made sure that they were doing well and all this other stuff. And, I mean, this is a guy who sued New York City for another tax abatement after he built Trump Tower um, to build uh, the for the uh, ice rink thing that he uh, took over. Um, and he said, well, no, I entered an agreement to uh, with this uh, city of New York for a uh, you know, multi, I think it was like a 50 year, 40 year tax abatement, but um, the city of New York, you know, basically saying you, you don't have to pay taxes uh, with us here. And I think it even went as far as the state, uh, the state saying that, you know, because they believed in Donald and all of this. And it was kind of his first uh, test from uh, Fred Trump, his dad. But I mean, I, I uh, signed up. Uh, at uh, his website because I want to see what everybody that believes other than myself is reading. There are 15 emails. I counted this right before because I wanted to bring it up uh, that I received uh, in the past 24 hours. And I will say that uh, 10 of them are guilt tripping me uh, <laughs> saying like, you don't care about the former president's future. Do you? Right kind of thing and it's it it breaks my heart because a third of our country believes in this man this supposed billionaire you know and he's got his hat in hand for out to uh the people yep you know yeah, he raised 250 million after the after the election you know but I don't know that I can say fraudulently, but certainly without really telling people what it was going to be for, that it was going to be for his legal fund. Um, and really, it's just a slush fund that it's a super PAC that can do whatever he wants. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, you know, that that has it, the, the fact that I go to uh, and speak with friends or family who are Trump supporters, um, which, by the way, in my family, I'm the only Democrat that, other than Seth. I mean, you know, Seth is unaffiliated, uh, but he's, I wouldn't say quite as far left as Bernie, but he's farther left than I am. Uh, but, you know, I just believe in the basics. Everybody should be able to uh, have affordable health care, housing, clothing, uh, food, potable water it's pretty simple that's that's the level that i be believe just the simplistics this is the simple needs of uh human beings should be met i think um but i i you know argue well, not necessarily arguing but just discussing after january 6 happened um now, these are people who were 
uh, frothing at the mouth after 9-11, rightfully so, you know, to catch who did this, who sent the, the uh, terrorists here to run the planes into the buildings. Now, uh, George Bush uh, was very quick to say, you know, it was Osama bin Laden. And so uh, we we went after him, we got him, but we stayed there. We went to do some other stuff there, but I did not forget my point. Um, after January 6th, I thought that, you know, most of the, I, I knew he would still have some people still holding on because some of some of the people, you know, Trump is a part of their identity, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, but I, I thought, man, for sure, these folks are going to be like, you know what, I can't with this guy anymore. I mean, Lindsey Graham <laughs> also, you know, he goes on the floor of the Senate and says, I'm done with Trump. That's a direct quote. But then he said, I just meant about the the election fraud stuff. I wasn't talking about totally down. And it's just like, yeah, I Lindsay, can't with Lindsay, that guy. Yeah, Lindsay's an impressive piece of work. Yeah, uh, somebody was asking, uh, what do you think is in Donald Trump's safe as a TikTok joke you're supposed to stitch it? And one of my friends said, uh, something, something, Lindsey Graham's testicles, something, uh, something, uh, something. <laughs> yeah. That Lindsey Graham has always been a follower of whoever is the most powerful. McCain, uh, he loved, loved John McCain, but do you think that John McCain is looking down proud of him? You know what I mean? If, oh, no. if there is a, you know, yeah. no, I, I, I wouldn't imagine that, uh, that John McCain is particularly impressed with Lindsey Graham right now, but I just hope that I, I, I just hope that, you know, I know it's going to probably take a generation to get us back to normal, exactly. but, uh, you know, there. I'm, I'm sure you've heard the scary claims on True Social of folks saying that we're now in a banana republic because the FBI uh, conducted this search warrant. And I'm like, we would have been if Donald Trump was successful on January 6th. We would have been because he would have ultimate power. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure a lot of the military would have been like, no. No, this is not what we took our oath to do. You know, they're honorable folks. Um, well, and it was, but, you know, Christopher Ray is the the director of the FBI who was appointed by Donald Trump. The uh, the judge that signed off on the warrant was appointed by Donald Trump. Uh, right. You know, and it, it, regardless of of uh, you know what you think of the political leanings of Merrick Garland, he's made it pretty clear that he is about as nonpartisan in, in this as you can be. And so, you know, it's, it's the only argument that they have, uh, right. You know, and and same thing with the January 6th, uh, commission is, you know, well, the Republicans weren't on it and, you know, whatever, well, there's a reason the Republicans weren't on it. And that's because the Republicans that were, uh, that were offered up were conspiracy theorists, right? Of course. Or potentially involved. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, I, you know, I, I kudos to, to Liz Cheney and, and Adam Kinzinger for doing what they're doing. Um, and, you know, and an unfortunate what's happening to them. And, and, and I've had people comment, and I think, you know, this is a slight deviation from where we're going, but you had 
talked about January 6th is at the end of the day, while I, I appreciate very much Liz Cheney's stance um, and the fact that she's most likely going to lose her, her house seat, she was part of the, part of the problem, right? She was would... part of complete and utter support. Uh, Liz Cheney, and I forget the, the numbers specifically, but- 97%. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I'm sorry. Um, you know, I, I, I lay a whole lot of blame at the feet of Mitch McConnell. I've said that for a long time. I think he is probably the biggest factor in, in uh, or the biggest variable of damaging our country for the last 15 years. Um, but the sense of tribal loyalty that is not just part of the conservative mindset, and it is, it is literally part of conservative psychology, and I understand that, but it has been absolutely taken advantage of by the powers in the GOP in that there is not, or very, very rarely, is there an option for deviation, right? for being individualistic, which is funny considering that, you know, the, the concept is individualism, right. um, but it is this, it is this tribal sense and Mitch McConnell has absolutely weaponized that. And, and so, yeah, as much as I am a fan of Liz Cheney doing what she's doing and I applaud her, um, she is part of the reason that we are where we are at, uh, is that is the, is the very simple truth. And, I haven't, other than her opposition to Donald Trump specifically, and, and of course she has recently called out the rest of the party for, uh, you know, for its, its utter support of, of the insanity. Um, but I would love to have seen her really kind of mail Cuba and be like, listen, I'm, I was part of the problem. Um, and I, and I haven't seen that. It doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. I don't watch everything that she does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's just part of the overall psychology that we're dealing with. And, um, and the, then the rest of that tribalism that, that, you know, need to protect uh, our beliefs in our circle, regardless of what's being said, um, has, has permeated. I've, uh, there's a TED talk on game theory and um, uh, political hypocrisy. And where we can point out so easily and, and arguably perhaps on both sides, but I think more, more recently on certainly on the conservative on the GOP side, where we can look at, wait, how can you say this and then do this? Or how can you do this and then say this, right? It, it's such an obvious uh, conflict and, and we'll call it hypocrisy. But the thing is, is that it fits in with the, the mindset. And here's the, and this is not me saying creating this, this was, uh, I, I agree with it, um, is the GOP and conservative mindset is we have the right to tell you what to do and you do not have the right to tell us what to do. Right. And that's not seen as hypocritical. That is simply seen as reality. And so that's why well, calling, I mean, the, calling out hypocrisy is, is irrelevant, um, is, is pointless. Um, we can challenge them. We can challenge them on ideas and concepts and, and say, wait a minute, you just said this. Now what about this? So when you're you know, talking, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the family at Thanksgiving before the mashed potatoes get thrown, but to, but to call them, you know, to say that's hypocritical, that just immediately puts them on the, on the defensive. Right. And it doesn't you're, you're going to get nowhere. And it fits in with the psychology of, I can tell you what to do. You can't tell me what to do. If we can exactly. understand that, then we can start to change the conversation a little bit. 
Exactly. Well, I had a conservative man. He self-identified that way. Um, and he, we were talking about the vaccine. And I said, because uh, somebody asked me, do you support the vaccine? And I said, do I support the vaccine? What the hell? I got to be specific because now we're finding cases of polio in the U.S., which was eradicated. But um, I said, yeah, the COVID vaccine. I said, yes, uh, it was um, created under a Republican and distributed under a Democrat. My doctor said, Dewey, get the vaccines. So I got the vaccines. It's as simple as that. I, my medical, the medical professional, the person I pay for that type of thing was like, do that. But anyway, he he was saying, you know, well, my body, my choice. And I'm like, yeah, great. Good for you. You know, just, you know, like at least wear a mask or whatever. And then he came back again with my body, my choice. And so I was like, so you must be uh, pro choice then. And he said, no, I'm not forced abortion. And at that point, I was like, forced abortion. I cannot talk to this person. So that's when I hit the old blockeroo. But I mean, they... well, it's, it's a it's a strategy that is used and it's it's not a logical strategy, right? It's a poor it's a poor debate strategy. If they were being graded on debate is I'm going to use your argument against you. Right. And that's a perfectly legitimate way to debate as long as we're talking apples to apples. But two right. things happen there. One, he doesn't agree with the my body, my choice, which is based on the uh, on, on abortion, right? So him turning around and using it associated with with um, the vaccines uh, is, is an obvious counterpoint of his own, right? His obvious hypocrisy, right? I don't really believe in this, but I'm saying it because you say it. So he doesn't believe it. So that's one problem. But the second problem is, Abortions are not contagious. No. Right? We're not talking about the same thing by any stretch of the imagination. Um, where when we're talking about the vaccine, we are talking about social responsibility for yourself, as well as your family, your friends, your neighbors, your, your community, and, and essentially the entire country. And that's the job of the government to, to protect. Part of the job of the government is to protect the citizens, including from each other. <laughs> and yeah, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. Right, right. Doesn't this shouldn't so so yeah, so the 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 logical problem with his argument is is that it fails twice. Um, you know, it doesn't have anything to do, it's not the same topic, and he doesn't believe it. Um and and it's unfortunate, and I get it. And so you point it out. Um, or again, we're not gonna convince everybody, we're not gonna move everyone. But it's important to at least understand, um, and and then perhaps to have a, a different response, um, or you know, and we're never going to change people's minds. And I try to emphasize that I'm not out there trying to change people's minds. I'm trying to help them change their mind if they're willing. Right? Um, but it always requires a willingness on both parties to engage. If somebody is not willing to engage, okay, fine. There's there's very little that I can do. But like one of the things I'll do, uh, and, and I've been saying it for a while and I really need to get on it now that I've got a little more time on my hands, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, is I want to provide like short one minute response videos for people that they can use. 
for people that don't want to fight the fight, but that also know that there's something wrong in an argument. So I'll use the, the Keystone XL pipeline because that one always gets brought up, right? Biden, right? So, and we can talk, and I have, I have done lengthy stuff talking about the oil industry, the Keystone, um, the type of tar sands from Canada, how expensive it is, how what a pollution it is, the fact that we don't really refine it, it's got a different sulfur content, the list goes on and on and on. But here's the simple point because it's always political, right? It's always Joe Biden canceled the, the Keystone XL pipeline and that's why gas prices are high. So all of the other stuff that I just said is utterly irrelevant to this one simple point. The US Supreme Court under Donald Trump in 2020 and then again on January 18th, 2021 canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah, it was uh, the Supreme Court. I mean, I think Biden did, I, I all, don't think that he did anything. All he did was pull the permit officially at the end. Um, right. But the, that's kind of that like, you know, on day one, right? Right. But that's kind of like ripping up the ticket to your concert the day after the concert happened. Exactly. Um, and so none of the rest of the argument matters. And that's what we have to, to understand and get to if we're going to have these conversations is it doesn't matter that you know, it would have been 400,000 gallons, or it doesn't matter whether we would or wouldn't have been able to use it or whether it was coming to the United States or not. And those are the, the arguments that we like to get into because it's like, dude, the Canadian, it just didn't matter. None of that matters because it wasn't Joe Biden that canceled it. It was the United States Republican conservative controlled Supreme Court twice, once two days before Biden was inaugurated after Amy Comey Barrett was already on uh, so it was when, when it was uh, five to four and when it was six to three. So twice it was the U.S. Supreme Court that canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, period, and we're done. And so that needs to be a simple video that people can have so that the next time that their conservatives, are, you know, uh, people are like, hey, you know, well, Biden and the gas and, you know, the Keystone XL pipeline and, you know, and they keep going, you go, listen, here's the Keystone XL pipeline. It was killed by Trump's court. Right. Um, I mean, uh I uh, like when uh, I was talking to Seth about this, um, I would say January, uh, December, something like that. Uh, it was when SB8 was passed uh, in Texas mm. and the governor signed it. And he's like, you know, proudly holding it up like an idiot because women are going to die. And there, there are literally no... Uh, exceptions to it and J chief justice uh, roberts was like you know i think that the, i think missouri right was it uh, the 15 week ban i think that's fair um i think he that's what he said um that he felt that was fair but he, i i think it was fine the way that it was when but when that group uh earlier on when that happened i said this is going to uh, likely end up in the Supreme Court, and I'm not very, uh, I'm not very um, comfortable with it. I said uh, Biden should appoint uh, four justices. I believe there should be thirteen, and it, you know, work it out later because he has the right with the. Uh, Senate's, uh, I don't remember exactly how it's written, but they have to basically help him pick the justice, I guess. Um, 
I would just point away, you know, and say, look, we the last time that we uh, added any justice was in the 1800s. It's been a long, long time. Uh, this is where our population was. I don't have the numbers or anything. Um, and this is where it is now. Um, and he was very coy, Joe, uh, President Biden was, um, when Trump was like, you know, are you going to add justices? And he wouldn't shut up and let Biden talk for like five seconds during that first debate. So they muted him. Um, but President Biden would, wouldn't answer it. So I, I think that there's still a little bit of hope there, maybe. I don't know entirely, but uh, when Roe was overturned, I told uh, Seth, I said, you know, just to be just to be a total asshole, I know, like, if I was if I was Joe Biden, you know, President Biden, I would uh, sign something saying, you know what, everybody now is required to get a medical or all their vaccines um, unless they can prove that they have an allergy to it or something to that effect. Um, and Seth said, how would that work? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm just pissed. Let me be pissed. And, you know, and then he was like, but, it, you know, he, he challenged me on it. And he's like, but isn't that, you know, kind of crapping on what you believe and stuff. And I said, you know, what do you mean? And he said, well, uh, you're just doing it out of revenge and out of revenge, you're, you're taking their, uh, choice, their medical choice away. And, you know, I, I had to think with that about that for a little bit. And, uh, I, I still wanted the revenge somehow on the, uh, you know, because it, they were, celebrating i mean there was a, a woman i don't remember which state she was in i think it might have been uh i can't i just can't remember uh but she she had to become septic before they would yeah. remove the the fetus there was uh i just read a uh a, a um a study of texas since the since their abortion ban and um, the the topic of it was so it was women that were over twenty that were twenty weeks or over, right? uh, and in almost all cases these are women that wanted to have a child. Right? This is oh, absolutely a, this is an accidental and and that's been talked about a lot. Um, but they looked at the data associated with women who who were required by their doctors, right? Who who needed to have a a medical uh, abortion, right, for, for their own for their own lives. And because of the Texas laws, how delayed these these procedures were becoming and and the subsequent outcomes. And there were, I believe the number was there were 28, um, uh, 28 women. So a uh, not a large number, because again, the number of women that have abortions after week 20 is astronomically small. Right. Um, they have names picked out for those kids. Right. They've got their right. cribs put together and stuff. They're ready to have a baby. Yeah. And so, so the, so the numbers are small. And, and so that's one of the arguments against the study as well. It's, you know, small numbers and anecdotal, but again, it's just the raw numbers. The numbers are small. So I think it was 28. And of, of the, the, the 28, one fetus lived one day 
outside of, of the womb with massive medical intervention in a scenario where the where, where it was never going to survive, right? So it was an astronomical expense as well as heartbreak, as well as uh, undoubtedly, uh, it, it was described as probably hell for that, for that baby, that fetus. And so none of, none of the fetuses survived. And the fatality rate the mator- um, for, the, for the mothers increased from 33% to 57%. Oh my so, gosh. Right. So what this succeeded in doing was increasing the fatality rate for women by nearly 100% while saving no one. Well, That's and I, I just ask this not to you, but to the audience, if you're a conservative and you're listening, thank you for making it this long into this. But my question to you is this, how is that pro-life? Right. You know, how is that pro-life? I would not want a, any child to, and once it's born, it is an, an infant, but while it's in the mom until it's out, it is a, it's a fetus in, in my mind. And, it, you know, I think at Roe, right, with Roe, I think you couldn't get an abortion after week 23 unless it was medically necessary. Right. It, well, and it, I mean, it, it allowed, it allowed for the states to make that decision, but that was, that was the distinction initially is that before 24 okay. weeks. Okay. But, you know, I, I, and I'll, I'll tell you something, um, you know, I used to be like in 2012, the first election I was able to vote in, I voted for Mitt Romney. Sure. Um, and there are so many people that are, uh, like me who they either just, you know, uh, left voting which i believe my my grandpa always told me when i was growing up he said there uh are things that you have to do um in life and you know he'd read me this uh short list you know work take care of your family vote (laughs) every time so uh and he said uh like uh after president obama uh won you know, uh, I was bummed, I guess, is is a feeling. But uh, after um, after I started, like, uh, listening to him speak rather than just being like, oh, that's Obama, I'm turning off the TV. I found out that he is probably the greatest orator of our time. And not only... The, the the speech that uh quote unquote i guess won me over with with him particularly was sandy hook uh after sandy hook uh he dropped everything he was doing uh got on air force one as soon as he could and flew down well up to uh connecticut and um i remember him crying and not being afraid to cry because um if you're you know if you're a male or whatever people will be like oh you're a cry baby but i mean you know there were 26 people that were killed that day most mostly children um 
I I cried that day. I cried uh, after Uvalde, you know, um, and I I think that it's disgusting that um, uh, our uh, almost fetishization of guns has gotten this far that we're allowed that we're uh, there are part of us that are just you know popping the head back into the sand after um there's a school shooting and sometimes i even make excuses for it and i find it deplorable like ted cruz you know um and i i there were so many good guys with guns at uvalde at the uh, rob elementary school uh but uh i was reading that one police officer was going to uh save his wife i believe um and his child and um perhaps you know take on the gunman and they not only ha- uh took his weapon away but they handcuffed him too wow. that's what i read and um i don't know because we've so much has come out since then i mean 70 minutes before anybody even tried uh they were standing there waiting for orders and it's hard for me to say what I would do if I knew that there was, you know, a possible death down the hall, but a guaranteed death for several children also down the hall. Uh, I would like to think that, you know, I would do the the right thing. Um, but anyone's orders to stand down would have very little to do with that i don't care if i would be fired i don't i i would hope uh because the right thing is is i police officers they take an oath they don't take an oath to the people that are above them i'm not saying go rogue and do whatever you want but i mean with the 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 sheriff uh or the police chief thought that uh i think uh it was a homeland security had the uh that they were that they were in charge of it and i think the person that was leading the homeland security uh group thought the other one was and so it was just a bunch of it it, it was just a bunch of confusion um and personally i i don't know what the motivation was for them to wait 70 minutes because I mean, it would take uh, this exactly this long for me to say, hey, uh, Officer Murphy, are you the one who's in charge here or am I? I'm the <laughs> chief of police here. You know, like, if you don't know how it goes, ask. I mean, it's not that hard. Yeah, it was it was it was a situation that doesn't make sense. Um, you know, and it was shortly after the Buffalo incident and then uh and then, of course, there was, uh, I think it was, was it the mall in Indiana where uh, the, the good guy with the gun shot the bad guy? Yeah. And, and I was listening to an AM radio show, and it was not a, a hyper-conservative, um, uh, as, as, as can oftentimes be the case, but he was talking about that particular case, right, the, the Indiana shooter. And he's like, you know, I, he said it, 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 makes, me, it makes me feel like, like there's some argument to the, the good guy with a gun and it's and i get it right 
because it's there and it's in our face and perhaps it proves our, our belief. Uh, but it's anecdotal at best. Right? We know that only, I think, 3% or so of, of shootings are ended by the good guy with a gun. Right. Um, but, you know, the argument that more guns is the solution is laughable when you consider that we have 400 million guns in the country. <laughs> 400 million. Right? Yeah. So, you know, 1.2, 1.3 guns for every man, woman, and child in the country. And violence, and and actually, I, I can't say violence overall because when we look at violent crimes in general, they, violent crimes have fallen since the 1970s. You know, when when things kind of peaked, and of course, the number of guns that we've got has increased, um, but the number of mass shootings has certainly increased, um, and that's you know ease of access, and and the argument is well, you know, then only the bad guys would have guns. You know, you're stopping you know people from legally getting guns. Well, in almost every case of mass shootings, the people legally obtained guns because they hadn't committed crimes yet, right? Right. The 18 year old that just bought two AR-15s and you know, several hundred rounds of, of ammunition. That's not, that's the common story is that right. they, you know, uh, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Okay, in that case, actually Rittenhouse shouldn't have been able to legally have the gun. It was his friend who was 18 that bought it for him. Um, but again, the friend who was 18 legally purchased it. Um, and, and, you know, arguably didn't have a criminal record. And so the argument that it's going to be that the criminals are the only ones that are, are going to be with guns doesn't fly because it's people that are not criminals that are buying them and then turning around and using them. And good guys with guns rarely, yes, it happens occasionally, but rarely stop things. And if it's a lot of good guys with guns or a lot of good guys and bad guys with guns, then who do we shoot? Um, well, and there's there would be so much crossfire, right. you know, who who all if it's in this mall and there's more than one, you know, good guy with a gun there. Like you said, who do we shoot? First of all, that would be the, the hardest part. Right. But I mean, right. You're at also Sparrow and all of a sudden to say that there's not a child across from uh, or behind the wall that you're about to shoot into. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It, it takes, it, it puts several other, you know, citizens at risk. And so I'm, I'm not quite sure how we meandered onto the topic, but uh, you know, it's this, this is the, the wonderful nature of politics, right? Is we can go from topic to topic to topic right. and there's, there's a connection and there's interaction and there's philosophy and there's psychology and there's questioning. And I think that's really, really important, um, which is why I love doing this and why I enjoy chatting with you. Well, I, 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 Absolutely, I love talking to you because uh, you're far more intelligent than I. Intelligent, couldn't even say that than I am. But you're you're a regular person. You know what I mean. And politicians, uh, most of the time, I'm not going to use a blanket statement, but they've got this weird way of speaking. I mean, like. Uh, I, I'm not saying this to be mean, but Hillary Clinton, you know, when she was uh, talking about the Monica Lewinsky thing, she was like, uh, well, I'm not going to be like uh, Tammy Wynette and uh, stand by my man. And now she talks like this, like not, not, not even a little bit of uh, Southern accent in there I, because she was going to be Senator uh, to of uh, New York, yeah. you know, and like the amount of of things that she's done in her life, I would love to speak to her about. Um, and I think she would have been a great 
president, I voted for her. Um, and I would vote for her again, ultimately, if that's what, if, if she was uh, what was left on the ticket at the end of it, if it was between her and a conservative, I'm voting Hillary, you know? Yep. And I don't know uh, that. I don't know that there was anybody ever more with the it, the only the only one in my lifetime that has been close to as qualified would have been the first George Bush. Uh, absolutely, director of the CIA, yep. uh, vice president, and what he, he was in the military, yep. I, I believe, right? Um, so, you know, and and you know, obviously Hillary, uh, you know, uh, first lady for eight years. U.S. Senator, Secretary of State. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know between those two, you know, the, arguably the two most qualified humans that we've ever put up. Um, right. You know, and, and you can make an argument with Joe Biden from a political standpoint, but, um, you know, mostly in the U.S. Senate. But, yeah, the, the political experience for, for Hillary and, like I said, I think for, for Bush one, um, I, I don't know that, you know, those are incredibly rare human beings that have crossed that many different political spectrums and, and, and positions of power. Um, but. Well, there's uh, one candidate. Well, not he's, he's no longer a candidate, but every time he spoke, I listened and I 99% of the time I would say, I agree with him. And that's secretary uh, Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. And uh I, he's very uh, smart, and I, I don't know if you watched when you know they were doing the identity politics and uh, when they were questioning him. But he, I, I I can't remember how he put it. But uh, one of them, I think it was Ted Cruz, maybe was asking him something um, about extending the supreme court and i'm like how did we get here he's the secretary of transportation you know <laughs> right um he was like uh it, it would be unconstitutional or something for him to extend the court and um he said well do you realize that uh, the judge make the judge's justice is making the final decision uh I think it's called like jurist review or something that's not in the constitution either. Right. And he said, but it also says that the president, if want, like the president appoints the Supreme court justice. um, And there's no limit per president. There's no limit here or there, but just the, I I don't know uh, that I, I, I don't know that I dislike a, t- a politician more than I dislike Ted Cruz. I mean, if you look at him it, running against Donald Trump in 2015, um, Donald Trump called his wife ugly. Also, um, I think accused his dad of being the Zodiac killer. Yep. <laughs> and, it, you know, he he at first said, you know what, I can't support him. And then uh, he was pressured by the party to do it, and so he did. And then he was making phone calls for him and everything, and I I told Seth, I said, I don't care 
if I would have been expelled from somehow from the U.S. Senate because I would not support him, if he said something that unkind to, about you uh, in front of 85 million people on Twitter, I would have told him on stage, you know, I, I said, I, I won't say it here because uh, I, I uh, want this to, uh, you know, I don't want to cuss around a probable future senator because uh, that's going to bring me to uh, my next question. And I, I hope I hope so much that uh, it's answered the way that I'm hoping. Uh, but uh, do you feel that you have a future in politics? Uh, meaning, like you're going to may, might run again. <laughs> I'm I'm still going to be involved. Whether I'm going to run again or not will depend on a variety of things. Um, Right. I think what happens here in this 2022 election uh, is is going to be important. Uh, what happens uh, in particular in 2024. Uh, but am I going away? No. Um, what I've been doing for the last couple months is, is like I said, I started to, to work with candidates to get them involved, to get them engaged, to tr- and to try to encourage the type of candidate that I want to vote for. Right. right. That, I, that, I, that I want to, to be in office. And um, I'm also, uh, we don't have official information on it yet, but um, I'm meeting with uh, some folks next week here in Milwaukee um, about a podcast, because I think it's an incredibly important and powerful way to be able to communicate with people. And as much as I love doing TikToks and will continue to do that, we also need to be able to have an hour long, uh, you know, delve into, you know, pick an economic topic, political topic. Um, so that's part of my goal. Uh, and then to bring people on there that are, again, not necessarily like-minded politically, but are like-minded with a willingness to engage. Um, so, so my, my immediate plan is to continue to try to influence candidates and then also to work with voters and present workshops to them with them to teach them again, how, how to engage with people. Cause I think that's so important. Um, if I can do that well, then I think that leads to other possibilities. Um, that leads to greater support if I want to run again, um, if, if the right you know, position is, uh, becomes available, um, or it leads to the opportunity to, to be in the background, or it leads to the opportunity to kind of be in the foreground uh, you know, as a political pundit and, and talking and explaining and, and engaging. I'm not getting out of the political race. Um, what I will run for and, and, or if I will run will really depend, you know, 2024, for example, here in Wisconsin, uh, Tammy Baldwin is our, our, our other Senator. Uh, she's a Democrat. I, I strongly support Tammy. Um, she hasn't announced yet, of course, whether she's going to run again or not. She's been in there for two terms. Um, you know, if, if Tammy were to not run, would I consider it? Sure. Um, if she is going to run, am I going to challenge her? Probably not. Uh, right. You know, is the honest truth. Um, and so, uh, you know, it'll depend. Uh, it'll depend on what happens with Wisconsin maps, um, you know, those and, and really across the country, whether we whether we pass, uh, you know, the John Wright's or excuse me, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and some of the other voting rights bills 
to eliminate gerrymandering or reduce gerrymandering, what that might do, even though normally we would only do them every 10 years. Uh, you know, the Wisconsin maps were challenged in the Supreme Court, uh, both the Wisconsin Supreme Court and, and the federal Supreme Court. And those cases could continue. It wasn't a, a clean uh, ending and clean solution to those. So that could change maps. I had, I had been approached about the possibility, for example, of running for the House, for the Congress, when I started to, when I was looking at doing Senate. But the problem is, is that I was right on the edge, right on the border of between two districts. And depending on how the maps were going to change, I might have no longer been in the district that I might have even been a chance in. And that one was still gerrymandered 10 to 12 percent. Um, so there's there's a lot of flux, a lot of fluctuation going on um, here in Wisconsin. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going away. Um, I've had a great time being able to engage with folks, whether that's on TikTok or whether that's in person. Um, I think that we might have been maybe a little bit ahead of the time where I, I've said, you know, we've got we, we've got democracy right here in our hands. Right. Um, the last couple of years with COVID in particular, the increased access that people have to broadband access to unlimited data, the ease of being able to do video, which I think is is so critically important. Um, one of the one of my favorite authors and and he's done TED Talks and master classes is Chris Voss. Um, and Chris is a former FBI uh, hostage negotiator. And oh wow! He talks about he, his master classes on negotiation. the The books that he that he writes are talking about negotiation, and I love his his work. And right, it's all about um, psychology and interaction. But one of the things that he says, and it is studies have shown, and and I'd have to pull it up specifically, but um, I think his numbers are. 7% of communication is the words that we use, right? So if we're talking text, Twitter, Facebook, most like, right? Especially when those first started, only 7% is words. Another, I think it's somewhere around, you know, 38% is our voice, right? And you've talked about Obama as an orator, right? He was phenomenal as an orator and being, and, and Bill Clinton was very adept. Ronald Reagan was very adept. Um, but that 55% of our communication with people is visual, is body language, is seeing the smile on my face as I say something, right? Which changes my voice, changes the presentation, changes how I, how I sound, but more importantly, if you can see it. And we're at the point where, yes, of course, we've had television and JFK was the first one to really take advantage of it. And then we got into social media and Twitter and, and Facebook and, uh, you know, Trump and Obama took, took advantage of it. But I think we're really at the first point where interaction, Right, where that two-way communication and full video access is readily available for, for candidates that are willing to go there. And it's a tough thing to do, and it's a change. And, and you know, you, you talked about how politicians will kind of say the same thing, right? Or they, they've got a, a response that they want to get to. And part of that is because it's easier <laughs> to have, you know, the same five, six bullet points that you can repeat, that you're comfortable with, that you can respond with, regardless of what the topic is that you can spin to. But like I said before, it's also really, really difficult to have enough time and energy to do all the research that we need to be able to really answer people's questions legitimately. Well, now we have that capacity. We have the capacity for the data, for the information, and we have the video capacity to be able to, to relay it. And to be able to present a different message to a conservative than to a liberal about the same topic that gets us right. to the same end solution, 
but that is a different route. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm working on. And, and like I said, maybe I was just a little bit, a couple of years ahead of our time, but boy, the technology has changed so dramatically. Uh, you know, 60, 65% of people get their news from social media, not from broadcast news and, and stuff. People are doing podcasting like, like yours so, so much. Um, and so I think it's a really exciting time to, to quite frankly, to be in politics. Um, if we're willing to embrace uh, the change and the possibility of, of that change. And, and, and I absolutely love it. And so that's really my goal. It's, it was my goal for my campaign. And now I'm, I'm taking that same goal and trying to work with candidates behind the scenes to get them doing the same thing. And it's intimidating, right? If you're a, you know, a, a mid-50s uh, veterinarian that's never done a TikTok video, this is terrifying. Um, right. And so that's, uh, I've had some really cool conversations with nonprofit organizations, with businesses, with politicians um, of how do I do this? You know, people are asking, can you teach it? Well, I'm an instructor by nature, so I'm, I'm hoping that I can. Um, and so, yeah, so we'll, we'll see where, where it leads. But uh, the, the long answer to a short question is I'm not going away. I don't know what I'll be running for, uh, but we're, I definitely... I think we've got the capacity to really make some, some significant change and influence in people, which I think is awesome. So um, just a kind of uh, another question on this. Um, so would you be um, opposed to, I, I'm not saying like announce you're running or anything, but just a general question. Uh, would you, uh, be open to a gubernatorial run possibly that's interesting and again that'll come down to what's happening in wisconsin this year right um right if if governor evers loses and and tim michaels wins um what does that mean in four years so then we'd, we'd be looking you know four years down the road i don't know um my my economic experience and and part of what i've been really studying is um, is more focused on the national level because of how the federal government works, right? It works very differently than a state government or a local government as far as revenues and budgets and taxes and all that stuff. Um, and so it's, it's a different animal. Right. Um, would I be opposed to it? Not necessarily, or would I consider it? I, I'm, I'm sure that I would um, if there were, there were people that were, would be interested. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a business at the end of the day is, is, you know, kind of how state and local runs, whereas the federal government is really not. Um, and I've, I've made that argument a lot as a business owner, that we have to understand that the federal government is not a business. State and local have to work as a business because of budgets and taxes. Um, so it's interesting. I've not considered it very much. I really want to see Tony Evers win um, because he's the only thing protecting Wisconsin. But even if he does win, uh, you know, in four years, is he going to run a want to run again? Um, I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting. I hadn't I hadn't really considered it much, so I appreciate the question. I apologize. I don't have a a solid answer on that one. Um, That's fine. I I I think that it needs to be more acceptable for uh, political candidates or polit politicians even to say I don't know. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, I mean. Uh, I can't remember his name. He was uh, the libertarian candidate in 2016. Uh, Bill Weld was his was would have been his vice president. 
That he's a guy. Uh, he Johnson? pretended to have a heart attack. I think on TV. What was it? That Johnson. Yeah, yeah. I think is is who he was. Um, he was on Fox and Friends, and uh, they was asking him at the time about what he felt, what he would do with uh, Russia and Crimea and stuff. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking. I don't know. I have to look into it. And he was judged so harshly by the hosts on that. And to me, I would have been like, okay, cool, let's move on. Because they're not, you know, politicians are not robots, right? And Trump, he would just, in any interview, he would just wing it, right? And if he didn't know, he would be like, great question, phenomenal question, one of the best questions I've ever had. (laughs) As a businessman, blah, 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 blah. And then, like, you know, trail off. Yeah. Exactly. But um, I really do uh, appreciate you uh, for coming on here uh, for a, a second time. And uh, you can be found on TikTok at uh, Murphy for uh, WI, Murphy for Wisconsin. Uh, that's your username. And um, uh, where else? Uh, should folks uh, look for you? That's the the best place for the moment. Like I said, we're so I, I've got to wind down the campaign websites and Twitters and stuff, right? It's politics versus business, and so I, you know, it's difficult to mix those. Um, so right now, uh, TikTok is is the best uh, scenario, and we'll probably have an announcement. I'm guessing by September, um, as far as. Um, where I can be found, like I said, if we're going to do podcasting, which I absolutely believe that we are, I think it's, it's hugely beneficial. Um, and then we'll start to put together, like, we've got a bunch of the, the campaign videos talking about things like I've talked about, where how do we address inflation? Well, those are still valid, even though I'm not running for office, but we want to migrate all of that over into a, a single you know, location and, and naming structure. So we just haven't done that yet. Uh, so I apologize that I don't have um, you know, people are like, do you have your card yet? I'm like, no, I, I, I don't even have people or somewhere to send people. Um, it's, it's been the, the summer of, you know, like I said, taking care of some things and eh, right. maybe playing some video games and reading a couple of books just for fun. <laughs> I, uh, recommend, uh, I don't, he co-authored the book, uh, Bill Clinton did. And, um, it, the last name of the guy is Robertson. I know that, um, and the book, I'll just email you the title because okay. I forgot the title, but it's, uh, he, he wrote it, uh, I want to say four or five years ago. And it's really, really good. It's about the president. Uh, I think some, the, there are explosions near the white house and he kind of, uh, he navigates his way out of the, like a ballpark, uh, where he's, you know, like featured pitcher or something, and he's fighting. It's much like uh, Harris, uh, the one with uh, oh, Harrison Ford. Yeah, Harrison Ford uh, on Air Force One. Uh, but it takes place like throughout Washington, D.C. I will definitely email it to you. I highly recommend that book. It's one of my favorites. You would think I would know the title to one of my favorites, but... <laughs> Apparently not. I understand. <laughs> uh, but I, I do appreciate you for coming on. And uh, definitely let me know uh, when and if you launch your podcast. I will uh, 
help you promote it in any way I can because I appreciate that. Uh, and I, I'll be one of your first subscribers. And I really appreciate you for coming on for a second time. Dewey, always a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and your listeners. All right, sir. You have a great day. Thanks. You too. Take care. You too. Bye. As you wonderful folks know, you can go to deweyshow.com and you will be able to see everything that is currently going on with both the Dewey Show as well as this new show that I've got going, Dewey Daily, where I talk about pop culture events and all of that stuff. Uh, So deweyshow.com. Also, uh, please join the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash dewsnews or join.dews.news. Also, please subscribe. Please rate the podcast. It helps uh, get the podcast in front of everybody's eyes. And if you're more comfortable listening on a different platform, guess what? I'm everywhere. Uh, yeah, that sounded fucking creepy. Uh, but yeah, you can go to dues.news for that and find me on your favorite preferred platform. Uh, and please support the sponsor because they help, uh, with the bills. That is adamel.com. Adamel.com has thousands of items that will guarantee to spice up your sex life. They have sex toys, condoms, lubricants, underwear, DVDs, among many other things. So head on over to itml.com and use my offer code DEWEY at checkout for 50% off of almost any one item as well as free and always discreet shipping. itml.com, A-D-A-M-M-A-L-E.com, offer code DEWEY. D-E-W-E-Y. Along with everything else I'm talking about today, this link and offer code is in the description of today's episode. In fact, it's at the very top. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in to Dewey Show or Dewey Daily. I'm doing the same outro for both because they're both kind of fitting. Uh, Thank you for being a part of the Dewey Show family. I love you. And remember, folks, that love is everything.